Hi, um, welcome to Philosophy, Science, and Religion. My name is George Ortega. I'm here with Chandra Klebs, Mitch J, uh, WSD, and yeah. Jamie. <laughs> Thank you, WSD. So, all right, so now, this episode is going to be about the advances in technology that we can expect over the next decade and two and three and four decades that will vastly change um, life on the planet and in many ways make the world much more compassionate, more fair, and, and more pleasant for everyone. So like what, I, what I'd like to start with, since like most of us or all of us are vegans or vegetarians, uh, this, these recent developments, there's a guy, his name is, um, what's his name? Peter, oh God, I don't know, but this guy, he runs a company He's from the Netherlands, and uh, he's pioneering this. He's already, like, before it used to cost, like, about a half a million dollars to make uh, a hamburger patty, right, in the lab, right? So over four years, they reduced the cost of that by 99%, and they're continuing to reduce it. And so he's estimating that in five to ten years, we'll be able to grow um, meat, you know, chicken, beef, uh, pork in labs in such a way that, you know, instead of, let's say, you know, tens of billions of animals having to endure major cruelty and, and horrible torture every year, like for, for the beef, you would only have to have, let's say, a herd of 30,000 cows that could be treated very kindly. And basically, they're just used for the stem cells of their uh, muscles, it's act actually just very little from them, you know, is actually required. And then in, in, um, these, th this very little um, muscle mass stem cells from them can just like create thousands and thousands of pounds of, of beef. So first of all, are you guys familiar with this? I'm familiar with cultured meat um, somewhat, yeah, because uh, it's a way to, you know, Give the meat eaters their burgers and whatnot and their steaks, but at the same time we don't have to. I thought it was some kind of cloning technique. No, it's not. Yeah, it's kind of like a cloning technique in a way. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah, basically what they do is like you know, muscles. Basically, when we eat cows and chickens and all, we're basically eating muscles of of these animals with some fat, and so like they've been able to like grow these muscles you know, in laboratory conditions. It's actually very easy. Anyone could actually, it's so easy, anybody could do it, you know, in their home. You know, they, they, they've figured out how to do that. And so again, um, this, this means that within, in, in 10 years, you know, people, people who just can't fathom giving up meat because they just mistakenly think it's necessary to their health and nutrition and stuff, um, they had they'll have a very good reason to, to not, you know, buy meat produced by, by the, uh, as a result of the, the abuse of animals. Another thing to consider is that, um, you know, we, we, there's the impact on the environment, right? We grow up getting accustomed to the taste of meat. And then we, we build this desire for it. It's in the brain, and it's hard to dislodge. But if, yeah. the, if, there's a, if there's a cultural shift, then people will grow up. Like, for example, vegan children grow up without any kind of desire <laughs> to eat meat. You know, 
without even needing this artificially made uh, meat because they won't know what they're missing and they'll just enjoy all the, the very the, the cornucopia of other foods that already exist. I mean, the earth is so plentiful. There's so much stuff to eat that's amazing and delicious. There's really no reason for omnivores such as ourselves to be dependent upon meat. Slaughtering. Yeah. yeah. Slaughtering animals. Yeah. 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 Those, nutritional, those nutritional arguments are completely fallacious. Like people always, you know, people will point to like B12 or something. Okay. That's kind of, that's one thing that's a little bit difficult. You can just take a vegan multivitamin and get your B12 or eat a lot of beans and stuff. It's not a big deal. People look like it's the end of the world. I'm not going to get B12. I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. Go, it's not, it's not that hard. Yeah. And B12 is, is B12 is cheap too, you know, and, and, and it's a very good point, Mitch, that if you were never as well, if, I'm, if I well, remember right. Yeah, well, Mitch, it's a very good point that if you're not raised with a certain mindset and you're used to eating vegan from the time you're a child, then, yeah, you won't know what you're missing. And so, like, I'm tired yeah. of the idea as if the, as if people's desire to eat meat is purely genetic when it's not just genetic. It's the way they're raised. Yeah, and I think also in health, it's not just that, um, you know, that people think they need um, meat to be healthy. Actually, there's a lot of evidence that the people who eat meat are the are those who are most at risk for these major diseases that kill people. You know, if, if people went to, to vegan diets, vegetarian diets, they would be a lot healthier. Yeah. I mean, I think that the synthetic meat is, I mean, it will help people while they're still stuck in this mindset, thinking that they need meat. But I'm hoping that people will eventually realize they don't even need that. They don't need the synthetic stuff. Just like they don't need the real stuff, they don't need the synthetic stuff either because there's plants. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So, like, so the, again, this in vitro meat is just one part of the, something that's, again, within 10 years – you know, we might just see it everywhere in every supermarket at the same price that people pay for regular meat. But that's that's just one thing. I want to go like inform you guys. Um, there's an app on on phones, Android and iPad called Overdrive, and it's basically it's it's hooked up to libraries. Like I have a, a New York uh, Public Library card, New York City, right? And they have a vast collection of books. And the reason I'm mentioning this is to like. If you download that app and hook it up to your local library or something, there's a book that begins to explain these major changes that are happening. And it's written by this guy, Ray Kurzweil, who is one of Google's top innovators. You know, he's one of the top executives. He's just responsible for so many of the, the new ideas. He, he pioneered text-to-speech technology, and he wrote a book um, about 10 years ago, I think now, called The Singularity is Near. And, and basically, the theme of that book, I mean, one of the major themes is by around 2047, in about 30 years, we will be able to, you know, the computers that, that, you know, that run, you know, will be a thousand times more intelligent than 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 human beings okay that that's just one aspect he said like within within 30 years through either 
genetic engineering and or nano robots, nanotechnology will be able to like both reverse the aging process and halt it so people no longer die of old age or illness. You know, we, we would be dying out of, you know, from accidents or something. So again, this is something that, that isn't, um, you know, on the radar for most people. But when we begin to, to consider what this, this, these improvements in essentially artificial intelligence and computing, computing processor speed and data and all that stuff, you know, over these next decades, the, the advances that are, that are possible, you know, can truly revolutionize the planet you know, in ways that, that, you know, can essentially, I think, address across the board all these things that we're, um, you know, activists about. Sounds good. Yep, sounds good. So, so yeah, so, like, again, the, the, the reason I'm mentioning this Overdrive app is because, like, I mean, even, the, I mean, like, I, I listen to books, all right? So, his, Kurzweil's Kindle edition of this book is, like, $18, and I, you know, I'd rather just borrow from the New York Public Library. Borrow for like three weeks, and you can keep borrowing it if you need to. Um, I think there, there's probably um, you know used copies that you can get on Amazon for a few dollars, and a few dollars for um, for what you call it um, shipping and handling. Huh. But 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 Maybe yeah, I, should, the, the, I should start going to the library again. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I have it. I have it because the internet. What's the point? <laughs> Have you guys tried the Beyond Burger? They sell no. it in foods. It's really good. It's made What's from a Beyond Burger. Yeah, it's made from uh, pea protein isolate. It uh, looks like a burger. It has the same sort of texture and consistency. It's a little bit expensive. I think it's like five to six US, and you only get like two patties or whatever. But I've tried it. It's delicious. It's amazing. Tastes just like a real burger. A veggie burger? Not a veg it's not a veggie burger. I actually tasted one of the veggie burgers at one time. A, a it, veggie it's burger. pretty good. A veggie burger. Veggie burgers are good, but they don't. They're not. So if you, if, if someone is trying to go vegan and you give them a, veg, a veggie burger in place of a real burger, that's not going to make them happy. It's going to... Make them really, really miss the taste of a real burger. This is an attempt to no, solve it. because it did. It, well, I, I taste it. It, it tastes the same, but I, I didn't think it was bad. Right, right. It's not bad, but it's not the same. It wouldn't satisfy that. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to bite into a juicy burger, this Beyond Burgers solves that. It's like George is talking about the ones that are created in, in labs. Like, they create meat, so there's like no pain. Okay. This isn't that level. But it's close to that level. It's very delicious. It's amazing, and very satisfying. So you should, uh, if you can find it in Whole Foods, you should look it up. It's amazing. Yep. It's not like a veggie burger. A veggie burger is just Whole Foods. See the area I'm in. I'm nowhere near Whole Foods. And two, Whole Foods are expensive as shit. Excuse my slang. That's <laughs> pretty expensive. I mean, yeah, actually, there's one. You know, I go to Whole Foods for these vegan sausages that are actually they're. They're really inexpensive. They're um, you get four sausages for three twenty-five, but the, the the key thing is like that each sausage has about twenty-six grams of protein, which is a lot more. Most veggie burgers will have, if you're lucky, maybe sixteen grams, sometimes ten grams, sometimes much less. 
So, like, I, I agree Whole Foods is generally very expensive, but, one, you know, with these particular products, sometimes you get a good deal. Yeah. Um, Chandler, you were... Um, I do agree with you guys that it's a complete myth uh, that, you know, you can't get um, protein from uh, vegan diets. Of course you can. Like, seeds, for example, they have a lot of protein, don't they? So. Yeah, and elephants eat only plants. <laughs> yeah, so do gorillas. And giraffes. Yeah. <laughs> a muscle. I think hippos too. Yeah, I think so. Chan Chandler, talk to us about the um, he he hedonistic imperative. Well, I mean, I'm no expert on it. I just, I just know that it's about eventually eliminating pain from our biology. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, like, with advances, that, like, one of the things that Kurzweil explains in this book is that. Even today, they've developed, because of artificial intelligence, computer programs that are as accurate in diagnosing illness, you know, based on the, the certain symptoms that are inputted into it, as our doctors. Okay, so like, in other words, in terms of medicine, you know, the, the implications, um, there's, there's a, a field of, of um, chemistry called computational chemistry. And what that's about is that rather than having to like conduct thousands of experiments with different chemical agents and different variables and different combinations, et cetera, they can input all that information into a computer and save themselves the time and the effort and all. And the computer comes up with what, uh, what the results would be in, with each variable. So all right, relative now, guys, what we care about the reason we care about animals, the reason we care about people, about fairness, about, you know, a, a, is because we want people to, to be happy, you know, to live happy lives and to not suffer. You know, that, that's our bottom line, both, both people and animals. So, so there's this guy, another guy, his name is David Pierce, a British guy um, who actually is on our side on, on free will. You, you can, if you Google him, you'll see a video of him, his refuting free will. He wrote a book. The Chandler has, um, you know, is aware of. I, I uh, read it a while back. It's called the Hedonistic Imperative, and in it, 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 it introduces the idea that with all these advances in artificial intelligence and in nanotechnology, genetic engineering, you know, I'm guessing with it, we're within a few decades of maybe not completely eliminating all pain. I think that 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 will happen. I think before 2100. You know, but but within the next several decades, imagine like they're engineering a pill. I mean, again, granted, there's there's parts of you know our world where we need to like make sure that everybody's fed, everybody's cared for. But all right, actually, I want to bring that in because I think a lot of times, a lot of these conservatives, these 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 people who don't care, I think they don't care because they're not happy enough. They're not they're they're kind of discontent, and they they feel that like you know to help people like you know, would be at their expense. So, so what, what, what we have the capacity of doing through the nanotechnology and genetic engineering and these, you know, artificial intelligence is coming up with like a pill, a pill that everyone would take in, um, every morning to basically make everybody much happier than they are now. And, and, and the, the thesis, let me, let me hear what you guys think of the, the thesis, is that as people become happier, they're going to naturally become more compassionate. And again, this, is, this, this may happen within the next two, three decades. 
Hmm. Yeah, but George, there's another problem about like uh, technology. Like, you know, um, automation is going to be taking up the job market. Like they said that a lot of jobs are going to be automated. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, remember that thing when Jamie, said, you want to know something? Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, WSC. I'm sorry. Remember when y'all said earlier how automation is going to take over? Well, capitalism, that's going to be a huge problem if capitalism still in place. All right, guys, here's the thing. Like, you know, like in today's world, you know, when there's high unemployment, we think that's a bad thing. Okay? Mm-hmm. In tomorrow's world, it's going to be a good thing because, in other words, like, yes, and, and actually the people who have to worry the most aren't the manufacturing people. Are, they're the people at, at the higher level, the, the, these, these, you know, like accountants and stuff and just like, you know, these, you know, even doctors and, you know, because the, the artificial intelligence isn't going to be able to, like, for example, like weld things together. Well, I guess the robots can do that. But basically, I think my, my point is that um, that that basically – uh, we're going to be able to um, to not have to work as much. You know, these robots, these computers are going to be doing the work for us, and 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 so like you know that that will be a blessing. Well, we'll you know, so many people like don't have time for their families, don't have time to enjoy them themselves because like they've been like you know cultured into like working 50, 60 hour work weeks and and just like being so ambitious. So, so that's or 80, something else. Or 78 yeah. hours to 80. Here's the problem yeah. with being made um, unemployed, George, right? What replaces their income when they no longer have a job? That's the problem. That's oh, why basic income needs to come. Though. That's right, when, naturally, that's and Jamie, why yes, we but, need to get rid of capitalism. That's exactly. going to be a problem in the long run. Exactly. As we get rid of jobs, we, you know, we absolutely have to ensure that everybody's provided for. That's, you know, that's yeah. that would be part of it. Absolutely. Exactly. But do you, are you guys familiar with any other? Because, like, you know, I've just begun to research this this futuristic um, information, you know, within computers and medicine and all. Or have you guys begun to, to follow this? Because, like, this, I've, you know, you I've don't... I've followed some you, of it, like uh, cultured meat and stuff. I mean, Sam Harris talked about this a while back. Um, he said it's getting cheaper to uh, manufacture um, synthetic meat. I mean, as and I get the health pro- um, issue, Chandler, right? Um, there are questionable, you know, health aspects about, you know, eating meat. However, isn't the goal to save the animals? I mean, isn't that more important? than what you just said, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, that's, the, that's the real goal. And while, yeah. I, while I don't think that the synthetic meat goes far enough because it doesn't solve all the other industries that harm animals, because it's not just the meat issue, at least it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, at least, at, at least we can uh, agree to that point. I mean, as long as it saves animals, we're making progress, you know what I mean? So... Yeah, and Chandler, like, yeah, for example, they use animals to test out, like, um, like hair um, shampoos and cosmetics and stuff, right? And one of the criticisms that vegans have is that, like, a lot of those tests are simply not necessary, you know. But another part of this, like, computational chemistry is that I imagine that, like, rather than using animals as, as like, you know, the, the, the victims of this, you know, to, to, to really afflict them with these, these, you know, these agents and these products and see what happens, you know, as we do now, that's another thing that I believe, you know, within several decades can be transferred to computers. You know, a computer can analyze the constituents of whatever product it is and determine, you know, 
how how safe or how harmful it would be for humans to to ingest to have on on our, our on in our bodies or whatever. Yeah, and, and furthermore, I would argue if there's if they need to test anything on anybody, they ought to have it at least have humans who agree to be tested on it rather than pick on those animals. <laughs> but but God, can, do you see the overall? theme of this like the th things are happening that don't get much reported in the mainstream press that that really within several decades can vastly transform the world as we know it today can i just uh, make a point uh george otego and um you might find this interesting but isn't it possible in the future to use supercomputers to determine like you know cures and you know treatments for illnesses and whatnot because, um, let me explain. If they mapped out the genetics of like every species, right? Every single species that are on the planet, and every every single combination of DNA that there is, right? And they you and they used like I don't know some sort of like computer program that determined what was the best treatment for said illness. That would be better to use than hurting animals, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. And you know what they're working on? Let's say like one of our organs isn't working as well as it, it should. Right. Bio so they're, they're, devel they're developing these nano robots that actually let's say you wear a coat. So they actually enter your body through the skin. It doesn't even hurt. Right. And then they they actually take the place of these organs. Like, you know, if it's a liver, it it'll purify our blood even better. You know, a, a, according to, to this book by Kurzweil. Our, our organs, our natural organs, aren't always aren't generally aren't that effective at the job they do. We can actually engineer these nano ro robots to to do the job of our, our natural organs, but much much better. What well, you know, filter um, toxins out of our bloodstream and whatnot. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, that would be efficient. Then yeah, like if they use machines that were more effective in our organs. I mean, think how long we'd live with that. Less free radicals, um, longer lifespans. Yeah. I mean, and, and I actually think you know, the, I think in terms of like politics, um, you know, this may be like around 2050 or so. I mean, who knows? It might be sooner. But like, basically, right now they have like, for example, computer programs that could like just beat any chess player in the world, whatever. You know, no, no contest. But like. There's going to be a. Are you guys familiar with the Turing test? Of course. All right. All right so yeah. So for those who don't know, the Turing test is like you know a computer has achieved you know human intelligence when like you're interacting with one of these computers and you can't tell whether you're interacting with a human being or a computer. Okay, that's how intelligent the computer is. So like by twenty, like that and that's what the singularity is about. In other words, that's what. Kurzweil and other people uh, believe is going to happen around uh, 2045, 47. So when that happens, think about this. The problem with our politics isn't necessarily our political sy symptoms. That's not the ma major problem. The major problem with our governments, with our politics, is that they are run by people who are corruptible, who are corruptible in, in terms of taking bribes and lobbying and all this stuff, right? So imagine a world, maybe with this resource-based economy, whatever, but where we, we have a democracy, right? But instead of we as a population voting for people to govern us, we are voting for, like, let's say, a computer system 
um, by created by Apple is running against a computer system okay. created by Microsoft, and the third candidate is a computer system running um, created by Google, who are uncorruptible, and and, and yeah. vastly more intelligent than than the smartest you know politician we can think of. Yeah, I was talking about that to some uh, good associates on Twitter a while back. I mean, if AI got advanced enough, we could actually use that to be a sort of government, couldn't we, Chandler? Um, yeah, I mean, that'd be cool. Of course, it always comes down to how well do you trust the people who made the machine? <laughs> exactly. And yes, and Chandler, that's the key thing. In other words, we have to come up with algorithms, with the, the, the way of... of of like programming these computers that that you know and it's going to be difficult you know because like you know basically we have to like right now with viruses and stuff we have to always keep a step ahead of of the the people who create the viruses but but once we've you know if we can safeguard that kind of a system you know we we can program uh, these computers to be vastly more compassionate than we than we are vastly vastly more effective at, at, at coming up with solutions and, yeah. and then not corruptible. Yeah. Yeah. At least you can't bribe them. <laughs> yeah. But it's like Chandra said, it depends on how they're programmed because we don't want um, an AI that's programmed too conservative. You know what I mean? <laughs> so let me ask you something. All right. So like, let's tie this podcast in with the last one. Um, I think we were kind of like thinking that, you know, like, some of the some people on the yeah. planet they're just callous they they don't care and they're again their parents didn't care their grandparents didn't care it's kind of like you know it may take decades for us to get them to care whereas and then that's kind of like trying to fix a problem you know that you know over decades whereas what we're talking about now is kind of like developing and and enhancing and speeding up new technologies that will, you know, in indirect ways, whatever, solve the problems of these people that are like, for example, like in vitro, in vitro meat, solving the problem of callousness toward animals. Do, do you think that this approach, you know, if we're going to be activists, maybe rather than trying to get people to like understand that there's no free will and trying to get them to, to be more kind and compassionate, maybe if we put more of our energies into like understanding these new technologies and promoting them in a way in, a, in an effort to advance them, we might be helping the world more in, in, in you know by by shifting our strategy. And I want to say something to WSD. WSD, I know you hate Apple and stuff, but you know not all the people at that company are corrupt. Um, some of them are just you know, some of them are just following orders. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Stop even liking that company. Oh yeah. Meant to mention something about you. I was watching this one documentary yeah. where they said by the year 2021, we might actually become the machines. <laughs> Are you guys That's, familiar with? Go ahead, I'm sorry. Just, yeah, could I just say something? I don't, mind, huh? I don't uh, mind government becoming AI as long as it's done right. And I think Chandler um, agrees with that sentiment. Like, yeah. It has to be done in such a way that it doesn't hurt people. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you guys familiar with the how soon we can expect um, driverless cars to, to hit the roads? Oh, yeah, like Tesla cars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they can automate cars now, aren't they? Yeah, I, I've heard like within five or ten years, 
Um, now, now, cause like we, we lose a lot of people, you know, every year on highways, you know, in, in car accidents and stuff. Oh, and there's yeah, a lot of people get hurt and stuff. I know. And so like my, trust me, yeah, my, I know people or the roads, they, I got uh, no offense to people that drive. They drive like fucking idiots. I don't know what to say. Yeah. So like with this new technology, with these new technologies, like accidents will be virtually, you know, uh, extinct. I mean, like the, 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 there won't be any accidents anymore, or very, very few. Yeah, I mean that's that's the advantage of uh, AI driving your car. I mean, kind of like autopilot on an airplane. Like that's reliable, and that's why they use it on airplanes, don't they, George? And again, yeah. So like, the, they now, don't this, use it to land. This though. this also, you guys understand that like right now here in the United States, we have all these like landline phones, right? We've got cables running everywhere, right? But in South America and parts of Asia and Africa and stuff. They don't have the infrastructure. That's too expensive. So you know that now, like these smartphones are just like almost all over the world, and so like basically that's allowing these these poor countries to get more, you know, integrated into the global economy. You know, you can have a farmer in some very poor village with a cell phone, knowing what the prices are of whatever he is is growing, to be able to help you know navigate his business. So again, this, this technology has vast implications just toward, toward toward finally ending poverty. Yeah, I mean, if it's done right, then yes, we could use technology to end poverty. I mean, I'm all for it if, as long as they do it in such a way that it advantages everyone. Yeah. And and I wonder what it means for the criminal justice system in the future. I mean, would it mean better surveillance for prison systems and that? Oh, Jamie, that's perfect. All right. Something I, I've researched over the decades was lie detector technology. Now they call it truth detection, whatever, but it's same thing. So basically what I've learned is like the technologies we have today are between 80 and maybe 90, 95 percent effective in determining whether somebody's telling the truth or not. Right. Mm -hmm. So imagine in a couple of decades if they we reach 99 100 percent you know through through eye movement no thing as 100 but you know well you know i mean i don't know like who knows but like you know that we have a technology that allows us to do now the problem today is like even with the the most trained people like police people and judges and stuff you know their average rate of knowing who's telling uh, the truth or not is about 50 percent we are really bad at this so, so in other words, you, you would have, and, and this isn't just for the criminal justice system to determine who is telling the truth or not, but this is all f also for our politicians, you know, to, to when get, they're giving a speech to, to like put, uh, you know, have them hooked up to one of these lie detector tests so we know they're not lying to us. And, and, yeah. and, and naturally, naturally, yeah, with, with the criminal justice system, I think, I think, you know, I mean, this isn't really technologically um, related, but our work on free will, when, when people finally understand that nobody's to blame for anything, then our, the criminal justice system will be so much more compassionate. Yeah, and I suppose the prison systems will become sort of like mental, hospital, mental hospitals in a way, like when people you know, start to accept that. When we see criminals as, how should we say, mental patients, yeah, exactly. Now, like, for example, some some people, unfortunately, um, the part of their brain that that um, deals with empathy for some people, you know, it just doesn't work that well. 
you know, um, I think they have anti-social personality disorder or whatever. So, like, you know, part of this medical technology is, like, through nanorobots or genetic engineering, we could actually fix that. We could organically fix that so that so they, they do empathize. And, like, people who have, like, you know, problems with, with hostility and anger, we can, like, you know, just the, the medical advances that can and apply those. Some of us are, like, addicted to gambling or addicted to, like, you know, to um to alcohol and stuff you know just the 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 kinds of um changes that are possible as we begin to kind of like just integrate these computers into our bodies you know is is, i mean that'd be awesome and if they can actually use computers or recent advances in medical science to cure addiction for uh, to substances like addiction to heroin or crack and stuff i mean that'd be marvelous wouldn't it Chandler? yeah that'd be great I mean, less addicts, the better. Hey, guys, fortunately, I'm going to have to head out of here, but I enjoyed the conversation. See you guys later. All right. Okay, thanks All right. For Free will doesn't same. exist. Yeah. It's <laughs> you guys. Nice to talk to you, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. thanks for joining us, All Mitch. Right. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, all right. So, like, I want to tie two things together. Again, like, we were talking last podcast on how to, like, be better activists, be kinder to ourselves, and more effective by overcoming this, you know, these, these, you know, the anger and frustration and stuff. And so like what I've found over the last, really, I've, I've just begun to explore this futurist stuff about a month ago, you know, um, in, in, in more detail, especially um, as we learn about what's coming down, you know, the pike in the next several decades, I think we, begin, we can become much more optimistic through knowledge, not through hope and faith or just expectation, but through actual knowledge of what's happening today. And that can, I think, help us to become less angry and much more hopeful. And the other thing is like, you know, in terms of the growth that we can expect, again, it's, it's going to be exponential, meaning that like, you know, instead of a linear pattern that it takes, let, you know, took 100 years to go from, let's say, the, the steam engine to the, the you know, car and the car to whatever and the maglevs you know, take- so japanese have the maglev trains now don't they so- yeah they're yeah. working on maglevs now so yeah. so they're the rate to get them off rails yeah. yep the rate of progress is is increasing you know year after year of year i think every every two years or um processing speeds of computers double or something like that i mean it's amazing i'm gonna be, this- a, I'm a, I'm a be astounded if another 50 years they're finally defending the flying car now, the way people, well, if they make it all made, okay. But the way people drive, I wouldn't put them behind a flying vehicle. And the way smartphones take <laughs> uh, George and Sega, is uh, incredible as well. I mean, every year, your phone is obsolete, you know, because it all, they always bring out a new model of a, an iPhone or a Samsung Galaxy or something like that, you know. They, they have, like, better processors, better cameras, better software, you know. Yeah, you you know what we might want to like as a group begin to investigate um, which of these technologies are more are most relative to creating a fairer, more compassionate, you know, kinder and better world. You know, as opposed to just like you know, fine, we have cars that fly, but that doesn't help the animals. That you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, some things are more important than others. Yeah, of course they are. But I would hope that a resource-based economy happens. But here's the thing, Channer. I mean, it doesn't seem likely that a resource-based economy would happen, you know? Not with the way things are going now with people's value systems. 
Our, our technology is fine, George. No doubt about that. That's impressive. But the morality and our ethics, that's what's messed up at the moment. Yeah. Well, yeah, Jamie, and what, what, what makes me hopeful about the resource-based economy is that even though people are in denial about climate change, yeah. you know, eventually, whether it's like this decade or the next one or after that, eventually we're going to have to face it. And when we face it, we, we're, we're going to realize that, that, we, that the entire world has to change. In other words, we can't do our part if China doesn't do their part. China, you know, China does their part and we don't. The whole world has to be involved in this. Great. And so, yeah. And that, so uh, in other words, like. When Donald Trump pulled out the Paris climate uh, deal agreement, I mean, Europe is already on board with this. It's just that Donald Trump is just that much of an idiot that he doesn't, uh, yeah, he doesn't want to cooperate on anything, man. Really, right. Well, I think Donald yeah. Trump may have helped us by scaring the hell out of people. You know, people who never thought that somebody like that could get elected. So maybe like, you know, Trump's, you know, is not going to get reelected. Maybe after that, people are finally going to wake up to the need to be more involved in what happens to to our government, you know, to prevent people like Trump uh, from ever you know, leading us again. Yeah. And the Electoral College needs to do their job next time because, you know, their job was to prevent people like Trump from getting into power in the first place. Yeah, I mean, so, but they failed at that. But again, I guess the the, the major theme of this podcast is like we we you know, there's there's stuff that's so much stuff that's under the radar yeah. that that is like is destined within several decades to make the world so vastly more improved from from um, the way it is now that it just gives us um, a great you know, very powerful reason to remain optimistic, to be optimistic. And, and I'm very curious. I've gotten curious. I, I want to look, look for other books and articles about what else is going on. Yeah. I would hope that we get to the resource-based economy because in the end, if we got there, if we ever do get there, Chandler, with automation doing jobs that people dislike doing or uh, jobs that were dangerous, for example, nuclear power plants, I mean, radiation can kill you. So you want machines to do that instead of humans obviously if we got to that point george our world will be so much better only only on this condition if the most vulnerable people were provided for so that they wouldn't starve to death you know well absolutely we, we've got to get to you know the idea that we've got to evolve beyond social darwinism we've got to like exactly. understand that yeah agreed yeah cooperation is better than competition yeah but again, Jamie, especially for you, you know, like, you know, since I started, you know, learning this stuff about what to expect, yeah. I've, I've, I've gotten, you know, I was, I was pretty disheartened, you know, uh, you know, um, following November. But now I'm much more optimistic to the extent we become more optimistic. You know, we don't have to get so angry. We don't have to get so frustrated because we know that it's just a matter of time. We know. And, and it's like, you know, it's not like we have to wait 100 or 200 years for this to happen. We we're you know, we have to wait 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. I mean, I've been seeing stuff um, in documentaries and uh, recent um, articles. I mean, I showed Chandler one of them, like methane being released from the Arctic, which is going to accelerate climate change uh, to the point yep. where people are going to have to take action because if they don't then we're not going to have much of a planet left in you know within a few decades to uh 
a few centuries, like people's children or grandchildren will never be suffer if it doesn't extinct the human race. Uh, the death toll would still be large. Like it will be in the millions to billions, even. You know what I mean? Because of viral illnesses that you know uh, become more common. Uh, parasites, you know, malaria. That's going to be more widespread. Uh, I think you talked about that one time, George, didn't you? About disease vectors that will spread more quickly. No, I, I know that's one of the biggest dangers that most people aren't aware of. Um, and, yeah. and, and then it's also like water is becoming more scarce because of the the uh, livestock industry. You know, yeah. like almost all the water that's used on the planet is used for livestock. You know, so much mm. more than than is used for other um, causes. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, guys, that's part of what got me depressed is just realizing how bad climate change is and realizing that – I mean I don't think we're, we're going to even make it till uh, 2050. I don't think we're going to make it till that year because I think the human race will probably end up extinct or very few survivors. And I'm just afraid that the whole – Horse will be Mad Max, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it doesn't turn into Hunger Games or something stupid like that, you know. Right. And the other thing is like, you know, one, you know, one good thing about the global economy is that like before, like in World War Two and World War One, they could afford to have these world wars because actually people made a lot of money during them. Right now in, in our world today, we can't afford for for other countries to fail because if they fail, we fail our economies. And also basically the rich people are coming to understand that, you know, we, we either sink or swim as a group and you know you can't you know they're not going to be protect be able to be protected from the ravages of climate change we either fix it for everyone or we all suffer it yeah i mean there's only some there's only so much uh denial you can have before the truth finally catches up with, uh, with you george eventually they will have to face the harsh reality either cooperate and fix the problem or suffer you know it will affect them too inevitably yeah yeah I mean, this is what I try and tell people. Even the oil uh, company CEOs, it'll even they'll suffer if they don't do anything about it. They have to stop being ignorant, man. They have to stop being in denial. And, and actually, Jamie, I, you know, like, all right, the the thing, you know, get um, pulling this computer stuff back to where we started or yeah. the last podcast. Um, a lot of the problem is that people, their conscience isn't all that strong, right? Yeah. And we can't blame them. Fine, they don't have a free will, but. It's not like just that we could actually like make people happier through genetic engineering and, and nanorobots and biotechnology, but you know chemistry. We can actually, I think, make people better, you know, activate their conscience somehow, so they finally get it. So it doesn't take 20, 30 years for them to be able to make that shift. Yeah, I get it. I, I totally get that point, George. But. It goes back to that technology versus ethics and human values and all that stuff, you know. Like, it's like Jack Fresco said in one of the Venus Project documentaries: our values have not kept up with our technology. You know, we still have primitive values. We still value non-human animals less than us. You know, we still value them uh, as less worthy of life than ourselves. That's a problem in society, you know, and that's what leads to a lot of animal. Yeah, and you know, here's an interesting thing is that like sometimes like 
I have, my fear is like, you know, on one hand, I'm thinking, you know, the human race will probably go extinct very soon. But at the same time, I think that's almost better than human race continuing forever and torturing the other animals. So I kind of go back and forth on that. I'm not sure which is better. Not that I can... Unless, <laughs> unless, unless we progress to the point where um, animal cruelty becomes virtually non-existent. Yeah. Right. And, and Chandler, I mean, like, basically, if we put things in perspective, you know, whether we destroy ourselves or not, you know, you know, the universe is around for almost 14 billion years. And like, who, who knows how much longer it'll last? Our, our sliver of humanity, of, of sentient life, of life on the planet is just a small, you know, segment of, of this reality. So so actually, you know, it's like, you know, it makes me curious in terms of what, you know, what post-human, post-life reality is going to be about, you know, I guess it's beyond our ability to, to understand, but that kind of like puts things in perspective, you know, allows us to have this Buddhist non-attached view of reality to that we enjoy it, you know, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah, I wish I could see it that way, but it doesn't help me very much. <laughs> well, yeah. Chandler, how do, you, how do you address it? How do you, how do you address the future? How do, what, what do, what do you say to yourself to feel good about the future? Well, what's interesting about it is, like, I don't feel very good about the future because I don't really think there is much of a future um, for us anyway. So I, I'm trying to just live in the now and be happy now in some way with the short time I have rather than looking, you know, 50, 60 years into the future that I don't think is going to even happen. All right, and that, that makes sense. It's like, you know, the serenity prayer, uh, the serenity to accept the things we can't change. And again, eventually, you know, like there was an ice age, you know, uh, an asteroid is eventually going to hit us, that one of these super volcanoes like in, in Yellowstone or some other ones are going to erupt. And like, you know, we, you know, that's the reality on our planet. So we, we kind of like have to accept it and enjoy each day as, as we live it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like fortune. Kind of like that movie Bucket List, like where there was these two old guys that knew they were going to die soon, so then they did all this crazy wild stuff that they always wanted to do. Hmm? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, I guess, Chandler, why don't you end this episode and... um. I guess I, I want to yeah. get going. I, um, Nick is finally going. Like, he was late, but he's going to be here in a few minutes. So, all right. But I, okay. So, any last words, anybody, before we end this? Just yeah, I, just, I don't know I if y'all heard it, but it was a background song. Make a change. <laughs> oh, I think yeah, it was by Michael Jackson. No, Tupac. Oh, oh okay. Um. But just the, the one thing I want to say is like, you know, to encourage us to get informed about these new technologies and how fast they're developing to give us, you know, more optimism. You know, this it could be an, an optimism based on information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've been listening to Philosophy, Science and Religion, and we've been talking about some advancements in computers and technology and stuff 
that may Im improve uh, human society in the future. And we're not sure how it's all going to happen, but it, it, these are things we may be able to look forward to. Um, and it, if nothing else, it's entertaining to discuss the implications of these things. So this was a good talk, everybody. Um, and so I hope you all enjoyed, and I hope our listeners enjoyed too. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. Stay safe! Yeah!